Dear Heavenly Father, we give thanks that we can come here today um, as a church and as a family and that we can worship you. We give thanks, Father, that we can come here this morning and hear your truth. We can hear your word and we can hear um, your message from that word from Duncan this morning. Father, I give thanks that we can trust in your word to be truth. And I pray, Father, that you will open our hearts, you will soften our hearts, that you will help us to hear um, what you have for us today as we hear your word and we hear your, um, the sermon preached this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we're going to have the Bible reading, which is Isaiah 45 um, and 46. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord and will make their boast in him. Bel bows down. Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden. They themselves go off into uh, captivity. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born, even to your old age and grey hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. With whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me? that we may be compared? Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god, and they bow down and worship it. They lift it to their shoulders and carry it. They set it up in its place, and there it stands. From that spot, it cannot move. Even though someone cries out to it, it cannot answer. It cannot save them from their troubles. Remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, 
and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor to Israel. Gracious Father, you alone are God. You know, you know that our hearts so often stray and long for, long for our, our own idols, things that are not you, that we look to for help and meaning and significance and rest. Lord, give us grace now to expose those idols of our hearts and help us to turn to you and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you probably picked up we are thinking about idols today. I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear that word. Maybe something like this. Um, uh, still much of the world, there's a lot of the world, where you can where literal idols, like statues of different gods, you can uh, go and worship them. So maybe that's what comes to mind. That's the, the, sort of the kind of idolatry that Isaiah has in mind that we're looking at. Uh, is that really relevant for us, though? I mean, not many of us in 21st century Australia are going to go down to the local temple and bow down to the statue, right? Uh, we do have, I reckon we, we have some concept of what an idol is, but it's probably more like this, I think. Um, you know, someone, someone famous, someone you look up to, someone you want to be like. Um, but, but that doesn't quite capture what the Bible means, the fullness of what the Bible's getting at when it talks about idolatry and idols. Uh, there's something really important that the Bible does with this idea of idol worship. And, and it takes it all much deeper than simply kind of bowing down to a statue. Um, or then just, or, and it's sort of much deeper, much deeper than the way we often use it, just kind of talking about some, someone that you admire or want to be like. Uh, idolatry in the Bible is, is about the heart. It's about the heart. It's, and it's a constant feature of fallen human hearts that have turned away from God. Uh, uh, the reformer Martin Luther put it like this. It should be on the screen, this quote. He said, whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. Whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. So an idol, in the, in the kind of framework of the Bible, an idol is anything or anyone that you put in God's place in your life. Uh, what you look to for ultimate meaning and rest and satisfaction uh, and, and you even see in the Bible itself, in the, in, as the New Testament sort of goes on, you, see, you start to see that bowing down to literal statues is just one form that idolatry can take. So um, the Apostle Paul, in two of his letters, in Colossians and Ephesians, he refers to greed as idolatry. Uh, the greedy person is an idolater. A heart, that puts its, a heart that clings to and puts its trust in possessions or uh, money, 
thinks, I'll be okay, I'll have significance, I'll have power, I'll have rest, if I just have fill in the blank. (laughs) And whatever that blank is, if it's not God, it's an idol. Uh, so, So you get the picture, right? While we might not bow down to kind of literal statues, idolatry is a big issue for us. We still cling to created things rather than to the creator. It might be greed, like that's, that's still one of our massive modern-day idols, right? Especially in um, wealthy 21st century Australia. Uh, but there are endless other options for the idols that can grip our hearts. Endless other options. Uh, and, and the problem is, the thing is, we, often, we can think of idols as kind of really bad things, but often they're good things. Uh, often they're really good things. And, an idol can be any good thing that we turn into a God thing, it's a, a good thing that we kind of elevate to the position of God in our life. Uh, so sex, sex is a good thing, a great, a wonderful gift from our loving maker, one of the most powerful pictures of the love of Christ for his bride, the church. But our, our culture has turned what is a good thing into a God thing, um, something that we must have at all costs and on our own terms. So we've abandoned God's good design for sex, being for one man and one woman in a lifelong uh, covenant of marriage. Uh, We reject the Bible's vision of singleness as a godly and fulfilled state that is highly commended, all because we idolise, we make an idol of this good thing. What else? It doesn't have to... uh, uh, If you're anything like most people today, actually, uh, this is probably a bit of an idol for you, Uh, something that the the kind of thought of being without leaves you in a cold sweat, you know? (laughs) I couldn't even leave it down there. I've got to have it in my pocket. Uh, Maybe your idol is power and control. um, And and that kind of makes you lash out when, in anger, when things don't go your way. Uh, Maybe you have an idol of the approval of others. That kind of makes you obsess over your appearance. Or that means you kind of can never really come to your own mind and make your own decisions because your God is the approval of others. we, we can go on, right? Politics can become an idol, something helpful to remember this week. Um, even something as good as family can become an idol. Our family becomes the centre of our life, the thing we're devo- devoted to above all else, even above God. The good things, gifts from God, but they can become God things, and that's when they become idols. And the tragedy about all of this is that none of our idols None of our idols can actually bear the weight of our worship. None of them can actually give what they promise to give us, what we long to get from them. In the end, our idols consume us. They don't give life, they take it. They don't carry us, we carry them. And they are a heavy burden. They are a heavy burden. Uh, That's the image that Isaiah 46 opens up with. This chapter, we read from um, into chapter 45, but we're going to focus our time really on chapter 46. Uh, a bit of quick context, so if, you're, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you'll know that these last, this second half of Isaiah, for chapter 40 to 66, that we're looking at this term, uh, the prophet Isaiah looks ahead to a time when God's people are in exile in Babylon. Uh, he looks at the time when the Babylonians have taken them. It's not the current time he's writing in, but he looks ahead to that time. And chapter 46 opens up with, by picturing these two main gods of Babylon. I've got a picture of one of them on the screen. 
Um, the two main gods, Bel and Nebo, or Nebo, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Um, Bel was kind of the primary Babylonian god. Nebo was his eldest son. This is a picture of him, uh, a statue that was from the 8th century that they found. Uh, and what the Babylonians did in, in the city of Babylon, they had this annual festival where they parade their gods through the streets and it'd be like this festival of triumph and worship to the gods. Uh, the idols of these gods would be paraded through the streets. But, but um, uh, there's a picture of these statues. But, so, but when Isaiah looks at these statues, when Isaiah pictures them, he sees something completely different. He doesn't see the kind of glorious celebration of triumph. He sees this ridiculous and tragic scene. Verse 1 of chapter 46. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops low. Their idols, the statues of these gods, their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden. They themselves go off into captivity. So this is what the Babylonians did to the nations around them that they'd conquered. They went and conquered them, and they dragged their gods into captivity. Um, but Isaiah pictures this time when what Babylon did to the other nations is going to be done to them. Uh, and he, he kind of exposes the foolishness of these idols, right? They can't rescue. They can't rescue. They're, they're, they're just a heavy burden, and friends, isn't that true of any idol we worship? They can't rescue. They lead you into captivity, not freedom. They are a burden for the weary, are they not? And what God says in the rest of this chapter is just so helpful for us. So helpful for us. Uh, he exposes for us the kind of the stupidity of these idols. Um, that the people of Israel were tempted to follow. But he doesn't leave them there. He doesn't kind of just expose it and leave it there. He calls God's people to turn back to him. Uh, that's what we heard, actually, in, in chapter 45, at the end of the chapter, verse 22. This is God speaking through his prophet Isaiah. God says, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other And what God does through the rest of chapter 46, the one we're focusing in on, is he calls his people, he calls us, he calls you through Christ. He calls us, and, and you might have picked up this repeated call through that chapter. Um, four times he says something similar. He says, listen to me. Remember this. Remember. Listen to me. He's repeating it again and again. He wants us to get the picture. Do you want to be freed from your idols? Do you want that burden removed? Then listen. Listen today to the true and living God, the only God. Your heart is going to worship something. But unlike all the... You don't have to be religious, actually, either. Your heart will find an object to worship. But unlike all the false gods we're drawn to, the idols that we carry around, that we carry around and that weigh us down, the true God is the one who carries, who himself carries his people. Let's keep reading. 46 verse 3. 
Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born, even to your old age and grey hairs. I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. With whom will you compare me? Or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Uh, some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith and make it into a god. And then they bow down and worship it. They lift it to their shoulders and carry it. They set it up in its place and there it stands. From that spot it cannot move. Even though someone cries out to it, it cannot answer. It cannot save them from their troubles. It cannot, but what does the Lord say? I am he who will sustain you. I have made you. I will carry you. I will sustain you. And I will rescue you. What relief. What comfort that God gives us here. This is the difference between the God of the gospel and every other God, every other so-called God. Uh, Whether it has a name in one of the religions of the world or whether it's kind of one of the more subtle gods of our culture, Every other God demands their people carry them, but the true God carries his people. Every other God relates to their people through works, through demanding their people earn justification. The true God relates by grace, by giving justification as a free gift through the gospel. The false gods of this world take and take and are never satisfied The true God gives and gives even to the point of the cross where he offers offers eternal satisfaction to those who would turn to him. So friends, this section asks us the question, are you carrying your God or is your God carrying you? Are you carrying your God or is your God carrying you? And God calls you today to listen to him to hear and believe through Jesus that he will carry you to stop grabbing hold of those idols and instead to rest in the strong and sure grip of the God who has you in his hands. But there's more that God wants us to hear from this chapter. Uh, He is not only the kind of incomparable God Um, Utterly different from every other so-called God. He's not only the incomparable God who carries his people, he's also the sovereign God who does as he pleases. The sovereign God who does as he pleases. Uh, And we need both of these perspectives. We need to have both of these things. We need to know the amazing grace of God, but also his sovereign power. Uh, So a gracious God without power is nice but ineffective, right? Right? A powerful God without grace is a terror. The true God is both utterly gracious and matchless in sovereign power. So he calls his people, he calls you today to remember, verse 8, remember this, keep it in mind, take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago, I am God, there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. I mean, who else can do that? From ancient times, what is still to come, 
I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey from a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. It's just stunning, right? This picture of the sovereignty of God, the power, the matchless power of God. And he's so sovereign that he even, you might have picked it up in those last couple of verses there, he even uses a pagan, idolatrous king to bring about his purposes. That's what he's getting at in verse 11. So he talks about this bird of prey that he summons, um, uh, God, summoned by God, uh, this man who would fulfill God's purpose. Uh, if you're in home groups, you would have seen this through the week. Uh, over these chapters, uh, in these, these um, sort of group of chapters that we're looking at, uh, Isaiah has already talked about this guy named Cyrus, who God would use to send his people back to their land and, and rebuild the temple and, and Jerusalem. Now, I have to make a quick apology. Last week, I made an offhand comment about Cyrus being called a servant along with Israel. That was a mistake. He's not called a servant, so apologies. It's important to get these things right. Uh, but he is talked about in incredible terms. Uh, God calls him in the previous chapters. He calls him his shepherd, and even he calls him his anointed. His anointed, which in Hebrew is the word his Messiah. He, he, he refers to this pagan, idolatrous king as in these incredible terms. Now, there are a few things that are really amazing here. So to call, to call this pagan king, his anointed, his Messiah, his king through whom he would save his people, it was stunning. Cyrus didn't worship God. He didn't know God. But God used him, raised him up to accomplish his purposes. That is how sovereign God is, how powerful he is. And it's not just that, right? It's not just that. Isaiah is writing this 150 years before Cyrus was even on the scene. Um, at, at that point, it was Babylon who were unstoppable. They were the world power. No one, they were the great empire of the world. But Isaiah predicts not only that this Babylonian empire is going to fall, nations rise and fall, you know, you can probably predict that. He doesn't just do that. He predicts the guy who's going to do it, the name of the guy who's going to do it. And we know from history that this actually happened. So in um, uh, the 539 BC, uh, Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia, invaded and conquered Babylon. Uh, and the next year he made this decree that all the um, people of Israel could return to their land. Uh, you read about it in the Bible, places like Ezra, if you want to follow it up. There's also archaeological evidence about this. So this picture up here, this is the Cyrus Cylinder discovered in the ruins of Babylon. Um, it's a record of Cyrus's achievements, including this defeat of Babylon and his policy of kind of returning people to their land, their homeland. So anyway, all that to say that what Isaiah predicts here, 150 years before it happened, all came to pass, even through this man who he names, Cyrus. Uh, now, I just want to add a quick side note here before we move on. It's worth acknowledging that some have found all of this just too amazing, too incredible. Uh, and the thought that Isaiah could predict this with such accuracy, some have found an impossible thought. So uh, it's, this has contributed to a theory that this later chapters of Isaiah weren't actually written by Isaiah, they were written by someone later on, kind of in the style of Isaiah, uh, who was looking back on these events and who knew the name of Cyrus and kind of added him in. Uh, but there's, there's, no evidence, there's no actual evidence for that. 
It's, it's simply a theory. There's no, we don't have any ancient copies of Isaiah that kind of have the first half on its own and then later ones where the, these second ones are added in. Uh, and it, seems, it actually seems to me that the ho- actually the whole point of this section is to underline the fact that God really is utterly sovereign and that it's no problem for the sovereign Lord who makes known the end from the beginning, it's no problem for him to predict and give this word to Isaiah that Cyrus would do this. Isaiah is writing this second part of his scroll. He's writing it down as like a deposit. Remember we saw last week like a time capsule for these returned exiles. He wants them to know that what happened with Cyrus, it wasn't just kind of some random event, but was the determined purpose of the sovereign God who will do as he pleases. And I reckon you can kind of imagine the wonder of the returned exiles, right? As they get back to Jerusalem and the temple and they open up this copy of Isaiah's scroll that's been passed down and, and reading how God told Isaiah exactly what would happen and who would do it. I mean, what, you can imagine their wonder, right? What a confirmation that their God has all history in his hands, that nothing can stop his saving plan. And that's where the last few verses of this chapter focus in on. So let's read them. Uh, verse 12. Listen to me. Again, listen. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away. My salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor to Israel. Friends, this side of Jesus, we know that God's righteousness did come. His salvation was not delayed. Um, The returning exiles experienced that in part, but Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment, the the truest fulfillment of this. He's the one through whom stubborn-hearted people who are far from God's righteousness, people who cling to our idols, the idols of this world that weigh us down, but we still go back to them and back to them. Jesus is the one who brings God's righteousness and salvation to them, to us, to you. Not as something you need to earn, but as a gift that he freely gives, paid for with his own life at the cross. He forgives your idolatry, completely, utterly paid for, and says to you, listen, Remember, I am the true, the one and only true God who will carry you. Come to me and let go of your burdens. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is so much easier and lighter than the yoke of your idols. Jesus says, Jesus calls in the same way as this. He's he's speaking to us here. Remember that I am, God in Christ says this to us. Remember that I am the sovereign God who is working all things for your good and for my glory. Trust me. Even when your heart leans away from me and my will, trust that I know what I'm doing, that to take my yoke upon you and to learn from me, to live in thankful and humble obedience to me, that is, is where true rest is found. Jesus says, listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, far from my righteousness. 
Listen to the good news that my salvation is here. My righteousness is offered freely to you. Repent of your idols and turn to me. So, friends, as we wrap it up, what are your idols? What are your your idols? We all have them. The thing is, they're all different for all of us. Um, Even those of us who have come to know and trust and love the true and living God in Christ. We still fall back into our old ways, right? Our old kind of habits of thinking and feeling and acting and speaking. I reckon our idols are actually... One of the things that exposes our idols is times of stress and sort of heightened anxiety because our idols are the things that we kind of instinctively turn to when we're stressed out or when sort of something happens to us when, uh, that comes um, from without and we're kind of blindsided by it. Our idols are often the things that we instinctively turn to. Uh, God can be okay when things are going well, but when the screws start turning, when I'm really under pressure, when I feel out of control, we, we think in our hearts, God's not really enough. God's not really enough. The, the gathered worship of his people isn't really that important. Forming habits of daily discipleship, of reading my Bible and prayer, they're all okay when life's under control, but that's not really, really going to help me with my problems now. It's this other thing, this other person, this other experience that I, that I really need if I'm going to be ultimately safe and at rest and feel okay in the world. God in Christ, brothers and sisters, God in Christ says to you today, don't listen to those lies. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Put down your idols and come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will carry you. I will give you real, eternal, joyful rest. Let's pray. Oh God, help us please to come to you through Christ. To come to you. You call us to turn to you. All the ends of the earth, even here in Victor Harbour, you call us to turn to you and receive your salvation. Keep us from the idols of our hearts. Help us to see them for what they are. Help us to listen to you and to listen to what you say about our idols here. That They're just burdens. They're burdens for weary people. They don't save. You alone, O oh God, are worthy of our praise and honour and glory. You alone can save us. So we turn to you and we come to you now. Through Christ, our wonderful Saviour and King. Amen.